wonderful to see everybody out and about this morning to worship our God. I have a question for you as we begin this morning. Have you ever really stopped to try to picture in your mind at length what Judgment Day is going to look like? Today, we're going to try to paint a picture of perhaps what Judgment Day will look like. There's a couple of things that I'd like to say before we get started. First off, I'd like to warn you that the picture painted by this morning's sermon is probably one of the most pointed, one of the most graphic, perhaps one of the most conscience-piercing scenarios that I will ever have the privilege of preaching here. The title is, What Will the Lord Say About You? on the Day of Judgment. Second thing I would like to tell you is this. It is imperative that if there's any way possible that you can be back here tonight to hear the second half of this one long, divided sermon, it would be wonderful. Because tonight, you're going to get the full and final, incredibly beautiful, complete picture for the Christian. Because this morning is not going to be pretty. <coughs> Thirdly, you may not see right away how this fits in with our current theme of focusing on Jesus' blood sacrifice for us, but I assure you, I assure you that it is meant to take us to an even deeper and greater love for <coughs> and appreciation of and dedication to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's some scripture I want you to consider with me as we begin this morning. I'm not going to tell you what the verse is before I quote it because I want you to listen to the verse. So if you're taking notes, I'll give you the reference at the end. I don't want you to look them up. You can go home and look them up. I just want you to listen to each one as they're read. Then I will give you the reference. What we're going to do is take them, if we can, sort of like colors on an artist's palette. And we're going to take these verses that we read about and we're seek, going to seek to paint a picture in our minds by putting them all together of what Judgment Day may possibly look like. Those verses are these. Please listen carefully. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 and 2. Our second reference. For we shall all we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Romans. 14, 
verses 10 through 12. Our third reference. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore, now watch this, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 and 11. He talks about judgment and he talks about knowing the terror, and that word is used, the terror of the Lord. And that word terror in that passage means fear. It means dread. It means terror, or that which strikes terror. It's very close to what Hebrews 10, 30, and 31 says in the New American Standard Version when it says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And our fifth color, if you will, is found in the book of Revelation. I'm going to ask you to turn to this one. Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 through 15, if you please open your Bibles there this morning. As we complete our set of scriptures from whence we are going to try to get some sort of an illustration in our mind of what Judgment Day may very well be like. We're not told a lot about it, but we are told it's going to happen. Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 10, says this. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Keep that in mind. The earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. As we consider and, and seek to combine the elements of these five scripture references, we begin to get a small glimpse into that great and terrible day of judgment. Again, we're not given a lot of details. Sort of like Nicodemus couldn't understand when Jesus told him earthly things. I'm not sure that telling us in great detail would amount to a lot because I'm not sure we can get our minds around the horror of that day for so many. But what we do see as we look at these scriptures, what we can say is that all of the billions of people who ever lived from Adam and Eve to the last infant that is conceived one millisecond before the end, 
Every single human soul will be present on the day of judgment. Every killer, every criminal, every atheist, every Satanist, every saint, and every sinner who ever lived. No one will be exempt from being there that day. No one will have better things to do. No one will have other things to do. Not even those who find so many other things to do <coughs> instead of being here every time they possibly can in order to prepare for that great and powerful day that is coming when they are going to meet and have to give an account of themselves to God. Nobody is going to escape that appointment. There will be no other place they can go because both heaven and earth will have fled away. There will be no place for them. This will include all of those that maybe you lovingly invited to Bible study over the years and they always found some other place to be and to flee to. Tragically, on that day, they will be out of elsewhere options to go to. Those who refuse to repent and obey the gospel by being baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins will also find themselves with no place in the universe that they can hide. And they will be forced to come face to face with the reality of the eternally fiery consequences of not having accepted God's gift of grace. On that day, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, scripture says these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. And all of those people who heard the word of God, all of those people who knew they should have heard the word of God, all of those people who refused to hear it and repent, but went in search instead of somebody to tickle their ears and to tell them what they wanted to hear, instead of staying where they were taught and could hear what they needed to hear and obey will have no place to run to, nowhere to hide from this great and terrible day. Those who fled from the light of his word in his church because they loved their sin more than they loved the sun will find no such flight, op flight options when that day comes here. <coughs> I asked you at the beginning of this lesson how often you've maybe thought about or have you tried to think about that day? And as I talk about these things, maybe there's a reason we don't like thinking about it. But not thinking about it doesn't change it. Not thinking about it only causes us not to be as well prepared for it. It's still coming whether we think about it or not. And there is no escaping it. No sinner will be able to continue to justify their actions or to avoid and ignore the consequences of their sin any longer. There will be 
for all of us. No place to run. No place to hide. There really isn't now. But some people have just allowed Satan to blind them to that fact. Some people have allowed Satan to cause them to think, well, the day isn't coming, I can hide, all of that stuff. It's like a three-year-old with their hands over their eyes. And I love this illustration. You get a two-year-old or three-year-old playing hide-and-seek, and, seek and they, they put their hands over their eyes, and they say, you can't see me. Some people do that with God. They think that if they deny his existence, if they deny his presence, if they close their eyes to seeing him, that he somehow cannot see them. That's not true either. Listen to what the Word of God says. Listen to what King Solomon in all of his God-given wisdom said about that in Proverbs 15 and verse 3. He said, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Again, King Solomon would tell us in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 14, listen to this, God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Is that verse still true? It's a Bible verse. Yes, it's true. Whenever I ask that question, we all know the answer is yes. Listen to it again. God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Hebrews 4.13 also says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Certainly, David in Psalm 139 would confirm that same thought. So, if you take all those texts that I have thus far referred to this morning, sort of like colors on an artist's palette, and you, you seek to paint in your mind, illustrate in your mind, or, or paint in your mind some portrait of this great and terrible day of judgment, you might begin to get a picture somewhat similar to what I'm about to describe. My picture goes like this as I put all those texts together. Every single soul of the billions of souls that have ever existed, all of them, will be there that day. Your friends, your neighbors, your classmates, your co-workers, your family members. And in my mind's eye, as we each will have to give an account of ourselves to God, in my mind's picture, I see this line coming before God. Because remember, you say, well, that's an awful long line. I've stood in line at the driver's license people, and that takes a lot of hours. I can't imagine that many people. Remember this. Heaven operates above time. And so the line slowly progresses. And then, you, as an individual, and I include myself in this number, but I want us to think of it personally, then you as an individual step before the Lord. You are the complete center of everyone's attention. 
not only your spouse if you're married, but your mom, your dad, your sons, your daughters, they're all there. Your friends, your neighbors, your classmates, co-workers, all your brothers and sisters in the church, all of them that are here this morning, all the innumerable heavenly hosts, that infinite number of angels, as well as the almighty God himself and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, and they're all there. And as all the eyes and all the ears and all the minds focus on you as you stand before God's judgment throne, <coughs> what are people going to see? What are they going to hear? What are they going to know finally revealed about you? Have you, don't, don't answer this out loud, just think. Have you ever said or done something or thought something about any of those people that I've mentioned that would be considered by God as less than pure or holy or kind or loving? By God's perfect standard, all those people that are there, have you ever said something, gossip, slander, unfair, Have you ever done that? Perhaps said something that was embarrassing, perhaps done something that was humiliating or even incriminating if it was ever discovered or made public. It will be made known on that day. In my mind's eye, all those scriptures we read about God knowing every secret thing and judgment and coming and giving an account of all of those things. In my mind's eye, I picture something like, for those of you that are football fans, those of you that have ever watched like Cowboys game at AT&T Stadium, you know that big screen up there on top? You know what I'm talking about? Where, you know, a strand of hair looks this big around because everything is just so magnified on that big screen. You can just picture all of my sins and shortcomings. Everything according to God's standard that's unholy being advertised and having to give an account. Don't think that might be sort of like what it's like? Listen to these verses. In addition to the other verses we've already covered that say the same thing, check this out. Psalm 44, 21 says, God knows the secrets of the heart. Psalm 90 in verse 8 says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. In Romans 2.16 talks about that day, listen, when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to the gospel. On that day it would appear that every dirty little sin and secret ever committed or concealed was going to be revealed. Maybe on that quote-unquote big screen. Have you ever said something behind somebody's back that you glad they didn't know? You ever gotten angry at somebody and said something you shouldn't have said? As we look at the Judgment Day picture that is painted for us in the scriptures, it appears to me that everybody's going to know every single evil word or act of every unforgiven sinner ever. Turn to me in your Bibles to Matthew 12. Matthew chapter 12, turn there. And this is why I say that. 
Look at verses 36 and 7. Matthew chapter 12, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 36 and 7. Jesus said, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be <coughs> condemned. I think it's interesting here that he says for every evil word they may speak, they will give account. Well, what if they caught it before it came out? We'll get to that in a minute. But again, I ask, you ever gossiped about somebody? You ever slandered somebody? You ever deceived somebody? Because on that day, it appears that they're all going to know. So everybody you ever loved, as well as all your enemies, and you say, oh, wait a minute, I've been real careful about what comes out of my mouth. Well, if we back up just a little bit, we read verses 34 and 5, what does he say in Matthew 12? He says this, Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. He says, you've got to keep your heart pure because what you think matters too. It ain't just what comes out of your mouth. It isn't when you filter it. James says we have a real struggle with that. Jesus says, yeah, you do have a real struggle with that. So you've got to watch what's in your heart too. <coughs> Because you know why? God knows the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Is that right? Is that what Scripture says? It is. Turn to me to Hebrews 4. Look at verses 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give in that day, in addition to all the other things that I've talked about, there will be no escape for false teachers, whether they're denominational truth rejectors or some of the ear-tickling, people-pleasing preachers from our own brotherhood. And not going to escape God's scrutiny that day. Look at me in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23. Yes, I realize it's Old Testament. It's not talking about the church, but still talking about God's people. It's just God's Old Testament people. Jeremiah 23 we talk about those who are false teachers who are more interested in telling people what they want them to hear rather than what God wants them to hear. We could read the whole chapter. We won't. We'll only read verses 16 through 27. Jeremiah 23. You can read the rest of it later. Verses 16 through 27. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Don't listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil will come upon you. You can do anything you want. For who has stood, verse 18, in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind, and it will fall violently on the head of the wicked. 
The wicked he's talking about is the wicked in context here, and that's those false teachers. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I haven't spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and caused my people to hear my words, then they would have returned from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Now watch this. God says, am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so that I don't see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? We can go on and read so much more, but that, that will suffice for our point, and you can read the rest of the chapter later. God says they're not going to get away with it. Do they really think? They can say these things that are not biblical and get away with it, and I don't know it? They too will be there at the day of judgment. From what I see in the scriptures on that day, there will be no secret, no word, no thought, or intention that will not be held up in the light of God's glaring, holy light for everybody to see. And there will be no escaping it. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Nor will we apparently be able to compare our own sin to someone else's or use their behavior as a barometer of ours like we so often seek to do. It is human nature for us. We always seem to want to say, well, you know, I've done this, but you know, that brother or sister, they've done that. Ah. And that's kind of the tendency. Well, I'm not as bad as sister so-and-so because she X, Y, Z. What does the Bible say in all of those references about judgment day? What does it say? Each one of us will give an account of who? Himself to God. I'm not going to be able to stand up there like Adam tried to do with Eve and say to God, it's a woman you gave me. It's her fault. I'm not going to have to account for somebody else. You know what I'm going to have to account for? Me. And I'm not going to get to blame somebody else and compare myself to somebody else. I have to give an account of myself. You see, the only standard of judgment on the day of judgment will be the perfect and flawless word of Almighty God, John chapter 12, verses 48 through 50. You ever heard the old saying, boy, if I had, if I knew now what I'd known then, how many of you have heard that? Everybody here has heard that, right? Either that or you're all being dishonest. Come on, right? Man, if I know now what I, if I, yeah, how'd I say that? <laughs> if I knew now what I'd known then, Knowing what we've discussed today as we look back over your life, are there maybe some things that you'd have done a little differently? After what we've talked about this morning, there's some things I'd have done differently. But you know what? You can't. You can't. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. What's done is done. You only have one shot at this life. One shot not to sin and mess it up. Once it's done, it's done. <coughs> How many of us have already messed it up? How many of us have already sinned and lost access to heaven? How many of us have already said and done some things that we do not want to be judged on? By God's holy standard, we know, especially knowing that one sin will keep us out of heaven. We don't want to be judged on those things, and yet they're there. They're on the record. Many of us have said and done things we don't want our entire family and everybody to know. 
if Satan is tempting you as you sit there right now to say, well, Doug, I'm, that, that, you're not talking about me. I would remind us all of Romans 3.23 that says all of sin fallen short of the glory of God. And if Satan is seeking right now to steal away or minimize or make you forget the word of God because it's made you uncomfortable as I preached this morning, you can read it in your own Bible. You know it's there. You know it's true. And if Satan is trying to minimize that or make you think, well, that's just too tough and that preacher needs to go sit down and I need to go home and have lunch, don't let Satan steal away the word from your heart that's been preached this morning because people, we're all going to have that appointment with God. Nobody. Nobody is going to not be there. And that brings us to the unbelievable beauty. To the unbelievable beauty as well as the unimaginable horror of what Jesus Christ did for each and every one of us when he took all of those ugly things that we have ever said or done and he paid the full price God required for each and every single one of those sinful things that we have ever done. I think it's easy to sometimes forget or take for granted or not think about where we would be come Judgment Day if it were not for the blood of Jesus Christ. <coughs> I think that sometimes it's easy to forget because it's so hard to think about Judgment Day and those things that we've talked about. I think that we don't like to think about it because of the infinitely ugly and the, the eternal magnitude of that day and exactly what Jesus Christ endured on the cross and beyond for those following three days to save you and I from having to experience the big screen. To save you and I from having to go through that horrible, awful, terrible judgment of God with our sins listed and everything that we've talked about and giving an account and knowing that we can't. Knowing that God's righteous judgment demands eternity in hell. And Jesus went through all that he went through so that you and I would not have to go through that. Turn to me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5. A verse that after this little series on Jesus and his sacrifice, I hope you never forget. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 21. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know what that means? I'm going to tell you what it means. 
It means that every single one, and by the way, that's just a couple of lists of sins out of the Bible, and we can say, well, wait a minute, I don't, you know, I don't get drunk and do some of those heavy things there. Well, there's also other things that we do do. There's all sorts of different sins up there, but those are just a couple. There could be other lists, but some of those things are on our accounts. You know what 2 Corinthians 5.21 means? It means that every single one of those evil words and choices and actions which you have committed and which I have committed, even the very least of which, even the very least of those which can keep us out of heaven for all eternity, what 2 Corinthians 5.21 means is that God wants to charge every one of those sins to Jesus' account. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 means. God wants to transfer every one of those to Jesus' account so that when you come before him on the day of judgment, your slate is clean. There's nothing to put on the screen because it's been covered by the blood of Christ because you have accepted the gift of Jesus taking your sins while giving you his spotlessly clean slate. That is exactly what Romans 8 and verse 1 means when it says, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, for those law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. Right now this morning, if you are in Christ, if your sins are covered by the blood, if you have repented and been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins as God demands and you have accepted his gift of grace, then as you sit here this morning, there is now, scripture says, no, that means none, no condemnation for those who are in Christ because when we are baptized into Christ, God puts all of our sins on Jesus' account. Don't we have an awesome God? Don't we have an awesome God? As you sit there this morning, if you have never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and those sins are still setting on your account instead of Jesus' account because you've never accepted his grace and forgiveness. I don't know why you're still sitting there, but I, I know one reason. Satan. Do not let Satan convince you this morning that that day is not going to come. Do not let Satan convince you this morning that you will not have to give an account and you can just escape the judgment of God because you can make enough good reasons or justification. It's not going to work. But God says you don't have to do that process. I'll take care of it all. But it's all up to you. If you try to face God on judgment day having to confess and give an account for each and every sin, you've ever committed in your entire lifetime in front of billions of other lost souls before you share their fate. And when we sing the invitation song in just a moment, stay right there in the pew. But if you don't want to face the horror of that day, 
and you want your account to look like that. So God looks at it and says, there's no sin here. And you hear those seven words, well done, now good and faithful servant. Do you want that? You need to be baptized to have your sins washed away and to exchange accounts. And if you've already done that, but you're here this morning and you know that maybe, maybe you haven't repented as fully as you need to of some things or you're struggling with some sins and, and you want to maintain your purity before God and you just need the prayers of the church for strength or forgiveness, you need to repent of something. If there's anything in your life this morning that is on your account, don't leave it there because the day of judgment is going to be a terrifying day and it's coming. I hope you'll come back tonight to hear the good news. If you have a need this morning, when you come to the front, please, as we stand.